we are excited to have um, a missionary with us tonight that I know is going to bless your heart. We're so happy to have Brother Jonathan Parker and his family with us. They are missionaries to the country of Swaziland, where Bishop Myers has been twice and I have been once. The one country he's been to more than me. Swaziland, a little country right in the middle of uh, South Africa. And uh, they are missionaries uh, to that great country. And you're going to be blessed by some of the things that they're going to share with you tonight. So would you help me to welcome here to the podium at East Wind our good friend, missionary Jonathan Parker and his family. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you all. You may be seated. Amen. My family and I, we count it an absolute honor and a privilege to be able to be here with you all today. We give honor to your pastor and his wife, brother and sister Myers, for their invitation and allowing us to be here. Amen. To the leadership of this church and for you all. Amen. For everyone. Amen. I, 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 I do like sitting by myself, but I would rather be here with you today. And so I'm glad that you are here. Amen. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. We are missionaries to the kingdom of Eswatini. Amen. You have heard your, your pastor, Brother Myers, refer it to Swaziland. Amen. That is, that is because that is what it's been known for, for pretty much all of its existence. Uh, we are the last remaining true monarch in all of Africa. Uh, it simply means that we have a king who rules over us. It's not set up like England. It is a true monarch. And uh, back in April of 2018, King Maswati III uh, made a declaration that the land would no longer be called Swaziland, but that it would be Eswatini. Amen. And so we have a new name in our country. And the problem is nobody knows about it except for us. Amen. And, uh, I, I, and I am not joking either. Uh, we, we, can, we can drive from our, from our home in the capital city of Babani. We can drive um, an hour and a half into South Africa, and we say we're from Eswatini. They've never heard of that country before. So then we have to explain to him, you know, Swaziland. Like, oh, yes, well, we know what Swaziland is, but we don't know what Eswatini is. Amen. But that's us. That's, we're missionaries there in that wonderful country, and we are thankful for God's hand that is upon us and upon the church that is there. Amen. Uh, what I'm going to do now is we're going to show you a short little film um, that we that we like to show. I grew up w watching missionary uh, slide projector shows. Amen. Technology has advanced, and uh, maybe ne our next video will at least have one picture upside down because all of those used used to have at least one missionary photo upside down, but uh, we don't have that unfortunately. Amen. Uh, but we'll go ahead and you can get that started, and then uh, we'll get into the word of the Lord here shortly.
Sanobanani Bazawani. Translated from Siswati into English means greeting saints of God. I'm Jonathan, and this is my wife Monica, and we are missionaries to the wonderful kingdom of Eswatini in southern Africa. Monica and I met at Indiana Bible College and were married in 2008. We have two children, our son Liam, which was born in 2013, and our daughter Kylie was born in 2015. After several years on the AIM program with United Pentecostal Church International, we arrived at the kingdom of the Swatini in 2019 as fully appointed missionaries. We quickly found a tremendous need in the United Pentecostal Church of the Swatini. While we have 22 churches across this nation, not one church had a church sign. So after making an appeal uh, for this need to be met, we received a generous offering and in two months we were able to design, manufacture, and install church signs all across this nation in every single one of our churches. Another need that we found was while we were intern pastoring at the United Pentecostal Church in Izawini, they had no plumbing, no proper bathrooms. Um, and so we were able to raise funds and take a four meter by four meter building and convert it into a men's and a women's bathroom. We arrived to find welcoming brothers and sisters who were hungry for both relationships and discipleship. We were privileged to be able to interim pastor at one of the 22 churches until a local Mswati pastor was able to be installed. Prior to COVID, we were able to implement a new schedule at our local church. This allowed us to start a brand new Sunday school program and to host discipleship classes for the adults and also training and seminars. We would like to say thank you so very much to all the churches who did live streaming during this pandemic. Here in Eswatini, during the lockdown, no children under 10 years of age were allowed to go to an in-person service for over a year. We appreciate so very much all of you who put on children's crusades and children's revivals. The impact this made on my kids' lives was tremendous. They loved singing the songs, doing the motions, participating in any way they could, and they really responded to all the messages. We just want to say thank you so very much from the bottom of our hearts. Our passion and our goal is to see the Eswatini Apostolic Bible Institute grow in numbers and in success. We are seeing a tremendous need for laborers in the harvest of Eswatini. It's this, just like Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And we know that if through the training and the equipping of men and women, both young and old, in biblical age education, in training, in, in helping them to understand and develop the call that God has placed in their lives, that we can inject more laborers into this great and tremendous harvest that we are, we are experiencing here in Eswatini. The Eswatini Apostolic Bible Institute has six campuses nationwide and about 40 students currently enrolled. At the, the local campus where we are live in, in the region we live in, Southern Hoho, we have 12 students uh, that are currently taking classes and we're seeing them develop and cultivating this desire to fulfill the will of God in their lives. 
Thank you so very much for all of your prayers and support. Through your continued support of our PIMs, our special projects, and supporting us in prayers, you are helping bring revival to Eswatini. Siabonga. Sarabanani. You know, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, Whew, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. We need to pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And you realize when Jesus said that some 2,000 years ago, that that would be the exact same problem that we have here in 2022. Amen. The harvest is still plenteous. But the problem is we still have a lack of laborers. And how we are trying to combat that problem in Eswatini is through Bible school. Amen. I, I cannot start a church in every town and in every village um, uh, myself. Amen. And so we are trying our best to equip as many men and women in the Word of God in practical knowledge, not just uh, the word of the Lord, but on how to, how to uh, evangelize, how, how to minister, how to uh, conduct you know, the, the business side of church so that we can effectively have as many pastors, as many preachers as we can throughout Swatini. Amen. Jesus Christ, who is our model, he is who we are trying to be. We want to be like him in every, hopefully we want to be like him in every possible way. And one thing that Jesus did that just, just, I think we might overlook it a little bit. And that is the fact that he chose 12 men to follow him. And for three and a half years, Jesus poured the word of God into them. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to evangelize. He even sent them out to minister uh, in their community and, and answer questions, uh, 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 answered their questions when they failed and, and they didn't understand what was going wrong in their ministries. You realize the 12 disciples were the, were the very first Bible school of the New Testament church. It's exactly what they were. Amen. And once they received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, they went out and they, 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 they turned the world upside down. Amen. But it all, it all, I believe it all started with Jesus investing the word of the Lord into them and being able to equip them in the, in, in the truth. I mean, the Bible tells us that we will know the truth and it is the truth that will set us free. Amen. What, what better thing can we do than invest in the kingdom of God and in investing in equipping men and women in, in the word of God and sending them out into the harvest field? Amen. We are trying our best to uh, raise up a strong Bible school. Amen. Amen. In Eswatini. 
uh, you've heard a little bit about it in our in our video presentation, but currently it's at its an infant state. We we do not have a full time Bible school. What we are doing right now is we're teaching six classes um, in six different locations around the nation in the anticipation of of, of building them up and and, and allowing them to un, uh, to realize how valuable the Word of God is or or Bible education is in their life. And we are, as a matter of fact, on this deputation, our largest project that we're raising funds for is because we do not have the facility uh, to house and to uh, do a full-time Bible school. Amen. So we're raising funds for that. And uh, we are hoping that when we get back, we'll be able to either purchase a property that already has a, a building or, or purchase land and begin construction on a full-time Bible school. Amen. I am thankful, though, on December 4th, right after, right, I mean, a few days before my wife and I and our family came back to the United States to begin deputation. Um, we snuck in right before Christmas. And, um, and, uh, but right before that, on December 4th, uh, we had a graduation ceremony uh, for those who completed those six classes. And we had 30 students from four, di- from four different campuses, amen, graduate from those six classes. They, they learned uh, a Bible introduction, life of Christ, Christian living, evangelism, the book of Acts, and apostolic doctrine. Amen. And I am thankful for what they are learning and what they're, the, the, the desire that they have to continue to grow in the knowledge of the truth. Amen. I am thankful, amen, for the Word of God, and I am thankful that He has given it to us, but yet we cannot keep it to ourselves, but we need to take it out into the streets. Amen. Amen. I, I, I want to turn your attention to the book of First John chapter 5. And uh, that is where I'm going to take my text. And uh, I'm not really doing a um, missionary sermon, I guess. Um, uh, but, but, but I am going to try to uh, uh, minister to us and encourage us here today through the preaching of the Word of the Lord. Um, after service, um, I don't know where we'll be. Maybe out here, we'll, my wife and I will be out in the, which would be the best foyer, I don't know, to, 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 to meet people. Main foyer, my wife and I will be there after church, and we have business cards. If you want to come and get a business card from us, we'll be happy to do that. It, it doubles as a magnet, amen, for you men on your annual trip to the refrigerator at midnight. Every night you can look at us while you get your whatever it is you're getting. Amen. Amen. First John chapter 5, starting with verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments... And His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to bring our attention back to verse 4, which tells us that whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And uh, because of this, this is the victory that we have, that we are an overcomer. So today I'm going to preach to us next few moments on how to be an overcomer. How to be an overcomer. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us here tonight. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. 
We ask you, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to receive what you have for us, God. Amen. We are thankful that we have the truth, Lord, that will set man free. And we ask you, Jesus, that you would help us to receive what you have, God, for us. Lord, your, your word does not return void. There is something here for each and every one of us. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us to be an open vessel, to receive something from you, God. Help us, Lord, not to just be hearers of the word only, God, but helping each and every one of us to become doers of your word. Hallelujah. Help us and make us into who you want us to be. We give you glory and we thank you, God, that we have this chance to be in your house tonight and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the last 20 years or so, I believe there has become a societal um, effort to try to help people to overcome their problems. And this is a worldwide thing, not just in in North America. But we can really see our world's efforts in trying to help people overcome the things that limit them in life by the institution of different programs. Uh, There are programs for every problem, for every obstacle, for every addiction, to every uh, um, uh, psychological issue, or whatever it may be. There's a program. And there's probably another one. As I'm preaching, there's probably someone developing one right now. It just seems like there's something new every day. But we we all probably in this room have heard of the AA. And uh, their whole mission is to specifically help people to overcome their addictions to alcoholism. But all of these different programs, they might have different uh, uh, constituents or people they're trying to reach, but they all have this same kind of concept or same kind of idea. And that is that we've got to get together and we've got to talk about our problems. We've got to own our problems and we've got to deal with it. And we can't really do it on our own, but we need each other to be accountable. We need each other to be able to, to, to unload our burdens on. And I think that this effort by our world is actually a good thing. And uh, I, 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 it doesn't take a Bible scholar to realize that the older that this world gets, the more problems there's going to be. The more heartache there's going to be, the more issues we're going to be facing in our society. And, our, and I think our world technically is, is trying their best to help people, to overcome those things that are obstacles in our lives. And they almost have almost the right concept, this, this idea we can't do this by ourselves, and we've got to lean upon each other. They, they have almost the right concept, but unfortunately they have the wrong who. Amen. Because what we need in life is not more programs, not more, more rehabs. And I'm not against, obviously, against any of those. But what this world really needs is some more Jesus. Amen. Because whom the Son will set free, He is free indeed. Amen. And we understand here, hopefully today, that no matter what it is that we are bound by, no matter what has limited us in life, Jesus is ultimately the answer. Amen. I'm, he's not a, a, a one-trick pony. Amen. Who, who, can, who can help only one type of situation. But our God can heal all manner of diseases and sicknesses, both physical and spiritual. And I am thankful that we can lean upon Him. Amen. The Bible even tells us that we are to cast our cares upon Him, for it is Him who cares for us. Amen. So as we, as the body of Christ, as the church go out, we've got to understand that what this world needs is more of Him. Needs more of Him. 
In Judges chapter 7, Gideon is waiting for God to send him and the army into battle against the Midianites. And God speaks to Gideon. And he, he, he doesn't say go into battle, but this is what he says. He says, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. Amen. I love this scripture, but it's very King James. Amen. So let me give you the Jonathan Parker translation. Amen. God speaks to Gideon, and this is what he says. He says, Gideon, you cannot go into battle against the Midianites because your army is too big. They're too great and too powerful. And if you go into battle and you defeat the enemy, you will take all of the credit and all of the glory and you will say the only reason why we are victorious is because my own hand hath saved me. And God was wanting Israel and Gideon to realize that victory is not a product of themselves. Amen. That if we are going to be victorious, it's, it's not going to be by our own might. Amen. It's really not going to be about our own strength and or any ability. Amen. But our victory comes from above. Our victory comes from God. So he tells Gideon, tell everyone who's fearful and afraid to depart. Leave. Get out of here. 22,000 soldiers left, leaving 10,000 soldiers remaining. Still too many, God said. So go down the water. We're going to try them there. Those that lap of the water with their tongue as a dog lappeth him shalt thou set by himself. And likewise, those that bow down upon their knees to drink. You're going to divide the remaining army into two categories. Well, there was 9,700 soldiers who bowed down upon their knees and drank of that water and leaving 300 men who got down on their faces and began to lap of the water with their tongue as a dog would lap. And God spoke to Gideon and he said, It will be by the 300 men that lapped. Will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hands? So let all the other people go every man unto his own place. So Gideon's army of over 30,000 strong is now dwindled down to just 300 men and Gideon. And listen to how they go into battle. As far as we know, Pastor Myers, they didn't bring their swords or their shields or put on armor. We don't know. The only thing we do know is that in one hand they held a trumpet, and in the other hand they held a torch that they had lit on fire, and then they covered it with a pitcher so that the light could not be seen. And the armies of the, Midi- of the Israelites, they went to the rim of the valley where the Midianites camped. They were in the valley and the Israelites were on top, and they, they surrounded that valley. And when everyone was in their proper place and Everyone was there and ready. The word was given. And they began to blow on the trumpets. They broke the pitchers and let the light shine. And they also began to shout out, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That was their battle tactics. I don't think that's very smart, personally. Amen. Because I do not think that you are very, you're going to be very successful in a military operation if all you're doing is blowing on trumpets and shouting. And holding fire. That's it. But something happened down there in the valley of the Midianites. They heard all of this noise and this commotion. And they came out of their tents. And they looked at the val- or the rim of the valley. And they saw fire. And they thought, we are under attack. And so they, they drew out their swords. And they began to charge at the person who was in front of them. And it just happened to be their fellow soldier from the tent across from them. 
And the army of the Midianites, down there in the valley, began to war against themselves. And they fought themselves until they utterly defeated themselves. Without one Israelite ever lifting up a hand in the battle. Amen. Why is this so important in in the groundwork of what I'm preaching here, of how to be an overcomer? The reason why it's important, because not one Israelite could leave that battle that day and say it was because I am so skilled with a sword that we are victorious. Not one Israelite could say it's because I am so accurate with a a bow and an arrow that we are victorious today. Not one general could say it's because my superior battle tactics, we outsmarted the Midianites. Not one individual could do that there that day. Amen. But all they could do is when they went home is give God the glory because it wasn't their own hand that had brought them victory. It wasn't their own abilities that made them victorious that day. They could not say, it is my own hand that has saved me. But all they could do is say, we were saved because we serve a great God who is faithful and loves us. And brings victory into our lives. Church, it is not my own hand that has saved me here today. Amen. I am not here because of how great I am. And you are not here because of how great you are. Amen. It is not by our own hand that we are saved here today. But we are victorious because He is great. Amen. So many times we begin to pervert the word and say, if I'm so good, then I will earn my way into heaven. Or if, or we start to rely on our own self-righteousness and our own self-holiness. Amen. But today, it's not our own hand that will save us today. But we will be victorious because He's with us. And He has caused us to rise in victory. It is not my own hand. That has saved me. But it is God who is rich in mercy. For His great love wherewith He loved us. He hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. He has saved us. And called us with an holy calling, Paul told Timothy. Not according to our works. But according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Jesus Christ before the world began. It is not my own hand that has saved me. So when we try to dissect becoming an overcomer, it all hinges on that one thing. We've got to realize it's not my own hand. It's not my own hand that saves me, but I need Him. It's not by my might, not by my power, but it will be by His Spirit. It will be by Him. Revelation chapter 12, John is seeing a vision in heaven. For you men who were at a, a, a men's conference last weekend, I think his brother Dean talked a lot, of, went through about all the, all the benefits of being an overcomer that are found in the book of Revelation. And, uh, but here in Revelation chapter 12, John is seeing a vision in heaven. And he says in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is come salvation and strength. And the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Which accused them before God day and night. Well, let's look at this real quick. Amen. My wife. Quick. I will try my best. Amen. Uh, She doesn't have faith in me when I say I'm going to preach quick. 
Amen. I, you know, I don't want to make her a liar, so I'll, 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 I, will, I will try my best to be quick today. Amen. And I'm stalling, which is not a good tactic when you're trying to be quick. Okay. Revelation chapter 12. John hears a voice in heaven saying, now has come salvation. Now has come salvation simply means it's come to a completion. Amen. I, I hope we all understand that while we are here on earth, amen, we have, we have an opportunity to fail. Amen. I haven't walked through the pearly gates yet. I'm not there. Amen. But once I step inside those pearly gates, I'm saved forevermore. Amen. I'm not going to fall away. There will be no more tears, no more pain. I'll have a new body. I'll be, I'll be as Jesus is, for I will see Him as He is. Amen. I'm no more temptation, no more any of that, because I am now is come salvation. And the Bible says that they, in the, in, in strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ, what John is seeing here is the completion of salvation. And he says this line right after the the colon here. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Who is that? We all know. The accuser of the brethren is Satan himself. And so what he is seeing here is the completion of salvation. Because Satan is cast down, therefore he is rendered powerless. He has no more authority, no more ability to attempt you, no more ability to ensnare you and, to, uh, and, and roam around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour because he is now cast down in this vision. But here it says it, he accused them before God day and night. There's a couple of things that's interesting about this. Amen. He's called the accuser of the brethren. If you want to really know what Satan is, his tactic is, just read the book of Job. Because that's exactly, this is, that Job happened in the, in the book of Genesis, basically. But here in Revelation, he is still being called the accuser of the brethren. Amen. He's still up there trying to dig up dirt on all of us. The accuser of the brethren, who which accused them before God day and night. Amen. But who is this? Who is the them that, that he is up in heaven accusing before God day and night? Well, the next verse tells us that those are people who are overcomers. These are people who overcame all of the temptations of their own flesh and the temptations of our enemy. Amen. These people overcame and they are there in heaven. They are, salvation has been completed in their life. And the Bible tells us exactly how they became an overcomer. This is it. This is the formula. This is it right here. They overcame him. They overcame sin. They overcame Satan. They overcame their flesh by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And because of that, they loved their lives unto Love not their lives unto death. They were willing to die for Christ. They were willing to become a martyr. All because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You see, ever since sin entered into this world, blood has become a requirement. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Or the effect of sin in our lives will always lead to death. And so, once sin entered into the world... Death entered into this world. And the only way around this problem of sin is something has to die. 
Something has to die. That's why they emphasize sacrifices so much throughout the Old Testament. Because the Israelites realized that if God was ever going to forgive them, or if they were ever going to receive forgiveness from God, something had to die. There had to be the shedding of blood. So they would take that lamb to the high priest and offer it as a sacrifice before the Lord. And the Lord would forgive them and push back the penalty, push back their sins for a year. And that very next year, they'd have to come back and repeat the process over and over again. Now what's interesting to know is once we reach the New Testament, the message does not change. The wages of of sin is still death, and blood is still a requirement. But there is one thing, amen, that does change once we reach the New Testament. And that is the actual sacrifice. It is neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but it is by His own blood He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The Bible tells us He gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world. He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Church, it is not my own hand that has saved me here today, but I am here because while I was yet a sinner, He died for the ungodly. Amen. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. He has redeemed us with His own blood. He has purchased us with His own blood. He has provided salvation for us through His own blood. It is not my own hand that has saved me, but I am here today because He died for me. He died for me. Amen. Amen. It's in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. See, redemption. Redemption is simply the purchase back of something that has been lost. Amen. I like easy definitions because I'm not a very smart man. And I'm okay with admitting that. The easy definition of redemption is the price has been paid. That's all you really need to really understand. The price has already been paid. Amen. It's already been paid. Amen. Isn't that wonderful when you go to the store and you want to buy something, but someone's already bought it for you and you are all confused. I don't know what to do. And the person says it's already been paid for. Amen. That's redemption. The price has already been paid. You didn't have to sacrifice. Someone else has already done it for you. Amen. I want you to understand that is what Christ has done for you. Amen. He has redeemed you with his own blood. Amen. Let me, let me quickly uh, tell you my own view of redemption. So imagine with me. This is imagination time. Imagine with me we're in a courtroom. Court is taking place and God is our righteous judge and He's sitting there on the judgment seat and He's got His judicial robe on and He's, 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 he's up there overseeing the courtroom and the trial that is taking place. The trial that's taking place is mankind, all of us. We are on trial for our crimes against the laws of God, His Word. So there's the prosecutor or the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself. And he goes over all of the evidence, each and every sin that each and every one of us in this room have ever committed. 
The jury goes out to the deliberation room. They come back, I'm sure it would have been very quick. And they said to the judge, we have found mankind. We, found, we have found the defendants guilty on all accounts. God, all have come short of your glory. All have sinned and come short of your glory. There's not one of, there's not one of these people that have not sinned, God. They're all guilty. They've all sinned. They have all broken your law. So what happens to someone who's found guilty in a courtroom? That's, that's the trial. They found guilty. Now there is a sentence that has to be taken place. Or a sentence has to take place. There, someone has to pay for their crimes. So what is the correct penalty for someone who's found guilty for breaking the laws of God? We've already talked about it. The wages of sin is death. So then we were all found guilty for our crimes against God. And then we were all given the death penalty. We were all sentenced to die. But something happened in that courtroom. Our, our God was sitting there on the judgment seat. Remember, this is imagination. And, and he's overseeing this court. And something begins to billow inside of him. And that is his love and his compassion for his creation that he has created in his very own image. So God, in his mercy and his love, got up off of his judgment seat took off his judicial robe, he laid it there, and he put on a different robe. He put on a robe of flesh. He robed himself in something that could bleed. He robed himself in something that had lungs that carried breath. He robed himself in something that could feel pain. He robed himself, in work, well, here we are in Easter week, amen. He robed himself in something that could hang on a cross. He robed himself in the very likeness of his creation. And he carried a cross up, of Gol up Golgotha. And nails were driven into his hands and in his, to his feet. And in, in his feet, in his hands. I, I don't know what I'm saying. Amen. And there he hung outside of Jerusalem on a cross. And he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. What did Jesus Christ do? He understood that it's not our own hand that can save us. But we are only here because he took our place. I deserve to be on the cross today. But Jesus has paid the price. He gave himself for our sins. That is redemption. The price has already been paid. There is no need for death anymore. Because he died so that you could have life. And that you could have life more abundantly. Amen. Aren't you thankful for Calvary? Aren't you thankful for the cross? Because He died for you. You can overcome. You can overcome. Hallelujah. And almost all things by the law are purged with blood, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Let me ask you a question here tonight. You can answer out loud. That will help me out a little bit. I'll get a water break when you answer the question. The question here today is, what can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Anyone know the answer? Nothing. 
Amen. For my cleansing, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all of my hope and my peace. It is nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all of my righteousness. It is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount. There's no other fount I know. It is nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I have some good news for you here tonight. The blood of Jesus, it will never lose its power. Never. Never. See, it's the blood that covers our past mistakes. It's the blood that preserves us and sustains us and keeps us holy and righteous. It is not my own hand that has saved me, but I am here because He has washed away my sins. He has purified me with His blood, and He is causing me to rise, to walk in newness of life. Hallelujah, aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ? Oh, I love the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you did for me on Calvary. Hallelujah. Amen. But John in his revelation says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So let me, as I get, I'll be coming to a close here soon. Amen. You've heard that before. But before I talk about the testimony, I want you to, first of all, let me say this. If you do not have a testimony, you must have a testimony. It's not an option. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. A testimony is simply the evidence or the proof of something. Amen. And if you are a child of God, there must be the evidence or the proof of that. Amen. If there is no evidence of Christ in you, can I be blunt? More than likely, He's not in you. Because when God moves upon you, He changes you. And there is evidence, there is proof of God's hand in your life. See, when my wife and I, we went to Indiana Bible College, one of the greatest things that I will cherish forever is I got to spend three years of my life sitting underneath the ministry of Brother Paul Mooney. To me, that's invaluable. That was the greatest experience about Bible school, just to be around Brother Paul Mooney. And there's a phrase that he repeats often when he preaches. And so if you've ever heard him preach multiple times, you've probably heard him say this. And it's the phrase, I know that I know that I know. He always says it in threes. I know that I know that I know. Now, why does Brother Mooney say that when he's preaching? He knows he's being redundant. He knows he's saying it multiple times. But why does he do that? It's because whatever it is that he's talking about, he knows so much that there is absolutely no room for doubt in his mind. He knows that he knows that he knows. See, today, how do I know that God is a healer of all manner of diseases and sicknesses? We know that because it's in the Word of God. But today, I can stand before you today and say, I know that I know that I know that He is a healer because He has healed me. I have a testimony. How do I know that God is a deliverer? We can read all about His delivering power, but I know that I know that I know that He's a deliverer because He has delivered me. I have a testimony. How do I know that God 
is still pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. I know that I know that I know because He has filled me. Not only do I have a testimony, but I am the testimony. I am the proof that God is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or we can even think. I am the proof that He is still pouring out His Spirit. I am the proof that He can change a life. I am the testimony of what the power of God can do in your life. You know what my testimony is? It's going to be the same as yours. I once was lost, but now... I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I used to walk after the flesh. Now I walk after the spirit. I used to be carnally minded. Now I am spiritually minded. I used to produce the, the, the works of the flesh, but now I'm producing the fruit of the spirit. It's a testimony. I don't think it's an accident Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because there has to be a change in your life. You have to have a testimony. You have to have the proof. So you must be born again. Paul wrote, if any man be in Christ, he is a, he, he's the same old man he always was. He's still carnally minded. He still deals with the problems of this world. No, if any man be in Christ, you are a new creature. You have a testimony. The old things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Amen. All of that takes place because of the blood. Because he gave his life for you. Because he died, you can receive forgiveness of sins. Because he was buried, you can have your sins washed away when you are baptized in Jesus' name. And he rose again so that you could rise again to walk newness. Not the same old life, but you have a testimony. You rise to walk in newness of life. Some six or seven years ago, my wife and I and our kids, we were deputizing in East Texas. And we were staying in an evangelist quarters there for a couple of weeks. And they, there was a very small town and they only had one or two restaurants in that town. And there's a point to what I'm going to say. Just stay with me. You'll get it in a second. And we were staying there for a couple of weeks and we kind of got tired of eating the same old food over and over and over again because there was just no options and the evangelist quarters did not have a kitchen, just had a microwave. It was very comfortable. I'm not complaining at all. Amen. Not complaining. One day, my wife, we, we had been there for a while and my wife and I, we just kind of got tired of the food. He said, you know what, let's go. Let's, let's get in our car and let's drive and we're going to find some food. But we didn't want just any food, but we wanted to find really good food. Something to satisfy us. We're tired of the fast food. And so my wife and I, as being good red-blooded Americans, we decided on pizza. But we didn't want any pizza. We wanted to find the best pizza. We were going to drive over an hour to find it. So it wasn't going to be Pizza Hut. We were going to find the best pizza. And so my wife was driving. I got out my phone. And I began to, I got on the internet, you know, as we do these days. And I googled best pizza in this area. 
And then when I did that, there were several options that pulled up. And so then I began to look at the number of stars, the rating of the restaurants, because I wanted to find who, who, which restaurant had the highest number of stars, the highest rating. And then once I found it, I can't remember, it was like four, this is like six or seven years ago, so I can't remember what it was, but it was probably 4.7, 4.8, somewhere around there. So high, very highly rated. So then you have to look at the number of views because, you know, you can have a restaurant that has high reviews and there's only, or a high number of stars and there's only two reviews. It's the owner and the owner's mother. You know? So you, got, you don't want to be, you don't want to be deceived. So we looked at the number and it was like 400, I can't remember. There's a lot of reviews and it still had a high number of stars. We found it, church. We found the best pizza in that whole entire area of East Texas. Thank you. But you know what? When my wife was driving, I was sitting in the passenger seat. My kids were in the back, probably misbehaving. And you know what I did when I found that pizza? I did not tell Monica. I did not turn to her and say, Monica, guess what? We have just found the best pizza in the whole entire area. Let's turn the car around. We'll go back to the evangelist quarters. We're going to cook some popcorn and some ramen noodles in that microwave and celebrate because we have found it. We have found the best pizza. No, we went there. We ordered pizza. We ate it. It was good. Why am I telling you that here today? It's because there are countless number of individuals all over this world who read the reviews what God can do for them. They see that He can heal you. And I'm, I'm not just talking physical, I'm talking spiritual. God can set you free. They read about His deliverance. They, really, they read about His power and how He can put His Spirit in your life. But God does not want you just to read about His mercy and His grace. But He wants you to get your own testimony. That I have tasted... And I have seen that the Lord, He is good. It's not just something I've read about, but I have a testimony. I have the proof that God is able. God is able. How do we overcome today? It's through the blood of the Lamb. It's what He has done for you. And then, once you have that experience of the blood all over your life, He will change you. And when the devil comes to you and says, "Uh uh-uh, what you had was fake, you can say, no, I have a testimony. I am the proof. I am the example that God can take a sinner. He can set the vilest of all sinners free. Amen. Please stand with me. there's There's a man in the Bible named Simon Peter. Opposition came. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? Took out his little sword, cut off a dude's ear, then scampered off in the woods. Scared. Didn't want to be around. He followed from a, far, from a good distance, went there into to, uh, the high priest court, and there he warmed himself by a fire so he could kind of keep an eye on what was happening to Jesus. And three times he denied who Jesus was. Cursed that he even knew who Jesus was. He ran, he hid, he lied, he deceived. But just some 50 days later, the day of Pentecost, opposition came to him again. Oh, who are these idiots up here? They're drunk. 
They're carrying on. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Who are these people? What are they doing making a fool of themselves? And it was Peter who stood up and said, No, this is that which was spoken of. This isn't what you think it is. These men, they're not drunk as you think they are. But these people, all these people up here, this is God pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. What changed in his life? What made him run away in fear and lie and deceive? And what changed him from that moment where he would die a martyr for his belief in Jesus? He had a testimony. He experienced that living water that Jesus talked about. He experienced the grace and mercy that can only take place through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he was willing to stand up in front of the thousands and say, no, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed to tell you that this is the outpouring of the Spirit. No, I will go and I will die a martyr's death because I have a testimony. I have experienced the blood and he has changed my life. It's not my own hand that has saved me. Say that. Why, don't, why didn't everybody say that? It's not my own hand that has saved me. But you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. Let's lift up our hands and begin to thank Him here this evening. Lord Jesus, hallelujah, we praise Your name. Hallelujah, we exalt You, Lord, because You are great. You are wonderful. You are excellent in all of Your ways. Thank You for the blood. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you've got a testimony of what God has done? Amen.